Murder? Mayhem? Mormons? Why not? You know me and my favorite subject, but let's make it a little dicier. Literally. <laughs> I found another Exmo, and we are together collaborating to make Bloody Tales just for you. Blood Atonement, a new series from Unfiltered Rise and Hellfire Agency, where we take you down that murderous path. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll see you there. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Unfiltered Rise. And today I have an esteemed guest with me. I am so happy to have Ali Siedatan with me today. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Yes. He is a documentary maker. He is running his own ministry. He has been through a lot of things and speaks out. And I am so happy to have you here because I know you're a wealth of knowledge. You're amazing. So thank, thank you. you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Look forward to our conversation. Absolutely. And you are going to ask me a question about Mormons or how my Mormonism was. What was that question? Sorry. Yes. I was just wondering. So you you lived a, a large portion of your life as a Mormon. How was that? Like, So for, thir yes, 34 years, I still live in Utah. Um, which is very not, not the best place to be is at what we call an Exmo. Um, and then I got out, um, at 34 and, and honestly, most of my life was really weird. I didn't live the typical upbringing. I'm not a polygamous sect. Um, cause a lot of people wonder about that. I'm a mainstream, but half of my family was very religious. Like this lady behind me is my great grandmother and they are Mormon settlers. They are like, it's in my DNA test from ancestry that I am a Mormon settler and yeah. all that. And then the other half, my grandma married this little hellion of a man that was my grandpa. Well, he was a boy. They were 14 and 15. Yeah. And so, yes, they got married and he was from Chicago, rough around the edges. He was in biker gangs. He, he was in jail. I don't know how many times he changed his last name and everything. And so I had this weird dichotomy of family. And then my mother and father, um, my stepfather, he was very abusive and my mom had had multiple mental breakdowns and my real dad was in prison. So I had this weird life and I was taken away by the time I was 12 and um, given to my grandmother. And so that is where a lot of my Mormon, I'd already been going with my neighbors and, you know, been baptized and all the things that you do, but she really indoctrinated after that. And so they are very, it is a cult. Yeah. I did go through the whole thing. I went through and got my Mormon endowments and I, very few people will speak about the temple, um, things that happen. I am one that will, because I was lied to and I'm sorry, your sacredness is secrets that people need to be aware of before they take blood oaths. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, took me a year and a half to get right with the Lord, to be honest, after that of just constant rebuking, praying, um, a lot of soul searching, a lot of repentance. Uh, I had no idea what I did, but nevertheless, I did it. So wonderful. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And yes. what are some of these rituals that, that happen? Oh, 
So there is a two hour ceremony um, when you go through to take your endowments out and you um, are getting all the Masonic rites now that I know they're Masonic. I had no idea then. Back when I went through in 1996, you still removed all of your clothing. They give you a poncho and like um, it barely covered me because I was eight and a half months pregnant. And wow. so this split up the sides and you're just there and then this woman comes in to bless your loins and your sinews and for posterity and you get your new underwear but the thing is is uh if you know anything about the mormon church women can't hold the priesthood and i looked at her as indoctrinated as i could be and i said where's the guy <laughs> and she said you can't do that you're in a state of undress and i said don't really care i don't think you have the authority to do this i need the guy and that was my first little questioning. I was always very much a questioning human. I was on the debate team. I lettered in it. I I was never an easy sell, so to speak. Uh, then you go through and you get these uh, two-hour ceremony of how the earth was created, how we lived a pre-mortal existence. The devil comes in at some point and gives you a new Masonic apron, which is green and made of fig leaves. Um, women used to have to shield their face from the priesthood because we weren't worthy to see and all this stuff. And so you do all these things. Oh, we wear a one-sided robe, just like the OTO. Um, <laughs> it's very, yeah. I mean, you have clothes underneath. They don't do yeah. anything, um, weird that way. I mean, it's weird enough. I don't have to get, make it salacious, you know, yeah. um, and then they do all, they give you all the signs and tokens that you need to go through the the passageway to heaven. So right. they're all the Masonic handshakes, um, Masonic. It, it's all of them except two. And then we don't do two of theirs that they do. And then you go to a little curtain. It's like hanging and fake God is on the other side. And even the marks in the curtain are the Masonic square and compass. And so right. you put your hand through and give these um, to the fake God and you give him your new name. But you never speak this name otherwise, except if you're a woman. Now, the man gets his new name and he gives that to God. But the woman goes through and gives her name to her husband because her husband is the only one that saves her because he carries the priesthood and she cannot save herself. So, yes, we give our name to our husband and this all happens. And then you go to fake heaven and, you know, you get married over an altar with uh, forever mirrors that they use in witchcraft. And it's a lot of things. And after you're done, you're like, whoa. And some of it is so non-biblical because they say you're getting married for time and all eternity. Well, we know that's not biblical. It says there is no marriage in heaven, right? Like, yes. so we did all this. I get a, a done with ours. And then they lay this on you. You need to come back often. I'm like, oh, well, we already did ours. Oh, you need to do this for the dead people. So then that every time after you go through, you go through for a dead person and they give you a name. This is why they're obsessed with genealogy. They even did Hitler um, and many Jews that died for what they believed in until the Jewish church stepped in and said, that's enough. We're going to sue you <laughs> as they should. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's sacrilegious to what they believe. Um, that was weird. And so you can do that. You can also perform marriages. Um, you can also go through and do baptisms for the dead, but the younger people do that usually. I mean, not that adults could 
if they wanted, but they usually don't. It's a kid thing. Um, and then like between the ages of 12 and 17, you can go through for the baptisms for the dead. And basically the concept is you're performing these things for a bunch of people in a waiting room that are just waiting there for this to happen. And then they can ascend, right? Because they believe in three levels of heaven three. So they're in like the lowest at that point. And so after I got out and I learned a whole bunch of occult things and uh, Masonic things, I realized, oh, this is like necromancy. (laughs) This is not good. And who knows what we're invoking into our underwear that we wear every day and into those mirrors and channeling and weird things. Like after you get out, you see all this and you go, wow. Oh, great. You know, and that, uh, you know, the whole idea that there was uh, people, sheep, you know, outside of the flock that the Lord was going to reach to. uh, It's usually understood that because it was a Jewish context, he was Jewish, his disciples were Jewish. He meant the Gentiles. This was a revolution. The Jews never believed that the Messiah would be offered to the nations and that with the nations, you know, there'd be one royal priesthood, you know, that would serve in God's temple. Uh, Eventually, the the earth is the incubation chamber of the immortal children of God. And and the story of the Bible gives us the process of of how uh, we become these, you know, immortal children. So he meant the Gentiles. He meant the nations. He was going to free the Romans and the Greeks and everybody else from the spiritual forces that held them captive the way that you know, before he had freed the Jews from Egypt and through the Passover lamb. And that's what who he was. And even John the Baptist calls him uh, that, behold, the lamb of God. So it is, um, that's what he meant. It's, it's everyone understands, it's very clear that the flock that he had outside wasn't some, you know, natives in North America or any place else. Yes. All the nations, when Satan says to the Lord, uh, dominion has been given to me over all the kingdoms of the earth, and I'll give them to whomever I will. He was talking about that. He got, God came to break that dominion, and and the price was his blood, and and bring out right. people out of the realm of the dead to the fellowship with the living God. And so the nations, you know, the, the Jewish people arguably were already on the side of God. They just needed to now understand what the religion was about which was about the messiah's atonement and his reign but um they were already in that covenant with the lord it was the nations that could not were going to now be grafted in through the messiah into the abrahamic covenant and receive abraham's blessings and join the jewish people so to speak inside of the um eternal state so that's what the context of the bible is very clear that's that he would have been talking about the romans and greeks and so this idea of Joseph Smith of giving a, a new context, you think, well, that's interesting. I mean, you try starting a religion. It's not so easy. People right. don't follow you and create you know, churches and rituals and dedicate their lives to it unless they have fallen under um, the rule of, uh, of a spirit, of an evil yes. spirit. 
I believe I have nailed down the spirit. Um, and it wasn't uh, me. This is just my conjecture. Of course, there's how, how would we know? But, um, I found a very old letter from his mother and this is well documented in her document, um, that she was writing. It was in a, a biography that was published from her Lucy Mack Smith. And she said, do not be supposed for one minute just because they were busy. This is like me, um, just summarizing it because they spoke different, um, that we have not been doing our our house of Abrac worship, right? Abraxas. This is super important because she is only the first generation after Scottish parents were here. Wow. And I do definitely believe she brought some Scottish Masonic uh, right. knowledge with her. Often this back to the father, but honestly, I, I mean, and one of their children was named Hiram. And then I found these weird sigils that I have never seen that they hid at the church. They have hid this stuff, but a private owner owns these and he will not give them up. And they are actual calling down of angels. And, um, they have like very Abraham, Abra, not Abrahamic, uh, Enochian, uh, language. These were written. Joseph Smith, they lie and say that it was Hiram's. Joseph was the treasure digger. Joseph was the the seer and revelator. This was his own title, prophet, seer, and revelator. Joseph was the one that did all this stuff. Hiram didn't do this, but yet they say, oh, that was his. That was his. He he had that. And he also wore a Jupiter talisman that, that he wore always and never took off. His wife confirmed that that was his because she wanted it back after he died. And well, so, yeah, I mean, so that, there's a lot. That, yeah. that, this, what you're saying makes a lot of sense on many levels. And the Scottish connection, uh, you know, the Masons um, and the Templars, and you know, they, they did settle in Scotland. And the um, uh, Scottish rites, you know, it's very famous. It's more like the spiritual uh, occult side of, of the Masonic uh, when, when the British king was like, you know what, I, I, I can't be out left out. I need to also become one. They kind of divided um, the Masonic uh, rites into two and they kept more like the occult and highly spiritual, dark spiritual. And they said, okay, you're not going to get this information, but you're going to get this information. But the Scottish rites, and, and, and that's kind of the place of the indwelling of these spirits when you look at anything um, outside of the uh, the teachings of the Lord that flourishes and blossoms and stands the test of generations and grows, it has a force behind it. Yes, uh, you know it, it it does inspire a structure and a way of doing things that really resonates with people and becomes like hooks into people's minds and hearts. Um, for instance, the, there's another small group. This is from the Middle East, but they call themselves the Baha'i. And um, I, I always wondered about them. And I finally met a person who was deep into the Baha'i. And um, he explained to me how the organization was set up. And it was ingenious. And it was around the number nine. And I don't remember all the details to repeat it. But I remember listening to him thinking, wow, this is a lot more complex than I thought. And I clearly could see that this wasn't a man didn't come up with this. This was this was a right. channeled. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? 
So all of the, there's a reason this has survived and has a stronghold over, over people because there is something behind it. it hundred percent. I, I absolutely agree. I tell everyone those weird sigils um, that were written, there were multiple and they were called like uh, the holiness to the Lord parchment. Um, they're very Masonic or they're very occult in nature. I have also done interviews with uh, New York Patriot from the OTO, Zachary King, who was a Satanist, a high wizard. And they all confer like this is satanic stuff. This isn't this. This is not normal. Plus, Joseph Smith, he channeled 24 angels or spirits that they don't talk about. Right. Including his dead brother. And there was sacrifices along the way. And the thing that people they tell us this beautiful story. Uh, you know, these angels came and he, yeah, he fell down and blacked out, but they were beautiful and light and, oh, here's the book and blah. Nope. That's not what happened. That's part of what happened. But to retrieve the plates, the angel said, you need to bring your brother with you the next time, this time next year, bring your brother. He had already come back four times, four years. He waited coming back to the same spot. So he did, he did go home and say, oh, I need to bring my brother. Well, funny thing is he was poisoned and killed uh, before that happened. And next thing you know, his dad is putting in a newspaper article saying, we're, we're going to dig up our son because everyone said we dug up our son, but we didn't dig up our son. We're checking to see if somebody else dug up our son because we need to make sure he's okay. Okay. He ran that six times in a real newspaper. You can look this up. Like, I don't, I mean, that's pre-gaming if I've ever heard it. Like, yeah. you're, you know, you're covering your tracks basically. Right. So everybody jokes that the brother's name was Alvin, that he had a hand <laughs> in the game, right? Of Mormonism, because they say they probably took bones, you know, bones have power and yeah. skull and bones and the whole thing. So um, they, they would never say that's, that that's happens. That's a Masonic lip ritual. Taking yes. the and, yep. And so they took it and they go, well, they didn't say they did, but they checked on his corpse and <laughs> buried it all back up. And, oh, he's fine. It's fine. So then a year later on the fall equinox in the middle of the night, by the way, this is an actual court documented affidavit from Willard Chase because he got in trouble for a treasure hunting scheme. And so this man presented his testimony. This is documented in the courts and you can find this easily as Willard Chase uh, affidavit that he borrowed a black horse. He had to dress all in black. He had to go on the fall equinox in the middle of the night to retrieve the books, which he did that he says he did. And after this, the plates, we won't say books, the plates. Um, and then he was with his wife who was waiting. She was his brand new bride. So there ends the virgin scryer because he had just gotten married. And right. I think they were in a rush for this before, you know, any acts were performed because nine months to the day later, they had a baby and okay. they named this baby Alvin, which is his dead brother's uh, child, his name. They named the child this, yeah. but the baby was extremely deformed and only lived for moments and then died as well both being the first son. So that was Joseph Smith's first son and his father's first son, both named Alvin, both sacrificed, I believe, at a Faustian level. It, right. It's it's too odd. Like, yeah, what? No, you know? Makes, it makes yeah, a lot of sense so. 
bring it together. Wow. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's and, weird. <laughs> yeah. But I I can't prove any of that. But I mean, I can prove affidavits. I can prove the treasure bag. I can prove he had a seeing stone. I can prove he was channeling. I can prove that he called what he channeled and wrote down reformed Egyptian. It was a Nokian alphabet. It is so similar. I have side by side slides. Wow. And he's not the only one. Like, how do we get um, other religions, right? They all stem from the opening up, I believe, from John D. John D, you know, channeling angels. Then many religions form off that. Aleister Crowley with AWOS. We got the Lima. We got Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard in the desert. You know, they then they did Scientology. We've got the Mormons with Joseph Smith. We've got Muhammad and Gabriel and all that. So uh, it's just very interesting to me that they all channeled books. Yes. Uh, well, there's, before yeah. that, there was the Code of Hammurabi, which was handed down by the sun god Shams, who becomes known as Apollo to the Greeks. Uh, and you can see this, the, the, the code, the, the statue, there's two of them. Uh, we have left. One of them is in the Louvre Museum in Paris. The other is in the Museum of Pre-Islamic History in Tehran. And there is the sun god Shams. He's sitting on a throne and he's sending a scroll to Hammurabi. And the scroll is the law that's written underneath this stone. It's very huge, large. And the law of the mm -hmm. land. Some of those laws are still part of our laws today. Um, the, in the Hindu Valley of India, civilization begins with the Vedic texts. And so... Uh, there's four Vedic texts. The Reg Veda is the most important one, and it is the worship of Indra. Uh, the second one, Yasura Veda, is the psalms that you are to chant while you perform sacrifices, or the priests perform sacrifices. Um, and modern-day Hindus go with uh, the Bhagavad Gita, which is the song of Bal Krishna. I mean, that's what he is. That's what the Bible calls these. They say Lord Krishna, but and that's not incorrect in English, but it's Lord as in these Baal, the Balim that are in the Bible. Um, mm -hmm. So Arjuna, he's a you know he's a charioteer. I mean he's a king, he's a prince, and then this um, his charioteer reveals himself to him that he's actually Krishna, the Baal, the Lord, and then speaks to him an entire religion which is what modern-day Hindus uh, really look up to, which is this book, the Bhagavad Gita. And it talks about how to become united with him, with Krishna. I mean, that's the entire point of the religion is, is to become united with Krishna and to escape the wheel of reincarnation, uh, see beyond the uh, uh, precariousness of life and death. So that's kind of the Hindus' valley, the Tibetan Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the most ancient um, of the scriptures, the Enuma Elish, that came af after the flood, when, when people settled, it says in the book of Genesis, in the land of Shinar. That was really the first book. It has six tablets, and the seventh tablet is all praises. It kind of has echoes this idea of the six days of creation and the seventh day of worship and rest. Um, the Zoroastrians, the um, so the Persians had a religion all the way you know, from, let's say, 3000 BC, um, no, sorry, uh, 2000 BC. Uh, so 3000 years ago, how many, how many years ago would that be? Um, so two, yeah, 1000 BC, from 1000 BC to all the way to the seventh century of the Christian era, 
when Islam came, the Zoroastrians, they had a book called the Avesta that came from Zoroaster. And the Zoroastrians say that Ahura Mazda, which is the name of their god, spoke these words in his place, in his dwelling place. They turned into light and traveled through space and landed on the tablets of Ahura of Avesta, uh, of Zoroaster, the prophet, and that became the Avesta. So this these all of the civilizations attribute their genesis to the gods um speaking these words and um, the codes of knowledge and civilization are passed down um people then begin to operate in them islam is the closest one to us so it's uh, this is the closest story where the arabs are basically an oral culture they don't have any writing and they live in the middle of the desert flanked by the Greek and Persian civilizations that are much older. They have writing, they have, you know, military arts, uh, sciences, uh, worship of the gods, medicine, government, kingship, laws, all the bodies of knowledge that are uh, essentially what make up civilization. And the Arabs have none of that. They live in the middle of the desert uh, and they are oral people who have writing. And the only way they protect themselves is um, by making sure they control all the camels because you can't get to the middle of the desert without a camel. Um, and so they try to control all the camels they can so that nobody can get to the middle of the desert. And then Muhammad, he, um, over the course of, I think it's, was it 23 years or 32 years? I think it was 23. I'm having one of those uh, moments where you, you know, that you revert, invert the numbers. I forget. So, Oh, right. Yeah. It's, it's I do 20, that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. 23 or 30, I think it's 23. He, he receives these, uh, they're called recitations. And that's what the Quran means. That's what the, the word Quran means. Recitation, the recitation. He receives these recitations and actually he falls down into an epileptic seizure. Everyone, he, every time he receives it. And then his companions memorize it. And when he dies, um, four of his companions, they say, let's, you know, let's write this down. They borrow uh, some alphabet from the Phoenicians and they create alphabet. That, that was actually an innovation, the Arab alphabet, in order for it to contain the recitation that Muhammad had received. And um, now there's a written copy of it. They write it down from their memory, from what they memorized. Right speaking and that becomes suddenly it gives them a structure they understand life according to the quran now uh, how to live how to worship their god allah how to treat each other how to treat people outside of the faith and with empowered with a worldview with a purpose with with a code um and some a spiritual force behind them they begin a uh, conquest and since in a hundred years they're able to conquer both the Greeks and the Persians and form what's today the Muslim world, that becomes a template of the sign of their God is the ability to conquer, how that you win in war. That becomes part of their psychology. This is a mark of the of the spiritual force. When when they win in war, they got the blessing of Allah because that's how it started. In a hundred years they had miraculous victories over foes far greater than themselves. And so this is the story of all the civilizations. Some code is revealed from heaven. It's recorded. 
and, and writing, and it becomes the matrix of the civilization's uh, understanding of life. And in some ways, that is the story also of Moses going up to the mountain and receiving, you know, the Torah, the five books of Moses. And when the Lord comes, uh, Jesus, um, he speaks heavenly words into the human realm, like he, his teachings. And those teachings alter the makeup of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire is going to be changed by the teachings of Christ. Um, it's, it, it, they're going to let go of the worship of the gods. They're going to let go of some of their values, ex, you know, adopt his teachings. And the Western world, which takes a few centuries to be born out of the teachings of Jesus, eventually in the fourth century, um, um, Jerome, he is a Roman man, St. Jerome he's called, he decides that he's going to translate the Bible into the Vulgate, into the uh, Latin that everyday street Romans speak, not the Latin of classical literature that only you know a portion of the culture can read and talk about, but the actual like language of everyday people. Mm. And his Bible, he goes actually to Bethlehem. That's where his tomb is, and he's and to research, learn uh, from some of both the Christian. Uh, Jews and the non-Christian Jews, because there were still Christian Jews in Bethlehem uh, in the fourth century when he goes there, and in Jerusalem as well. And so he goes to learn from them how to like interpret Hebrew and ask questions, and even from rabbis that are not uh, Christian, just how to translate the Old Testament and the New Testament from Greek. His translation, the Vulgate, St. Jerome's Bible, becomes the foundational document of Western civilization for 1400 years it wow. is the most influential bible that, that there's been even more influential than the king james uh, version of the bible and and so once again we have these heavenly words of christ this time that lay the foundation of civilization and in culture and even even a lot of like human rights uh and all kinds of ideas that that exist today why do they come from the west why didn't human rights come from china because right. this is the teachings of Jesus and how it kind of went into the brains, into the psyche of people here. And it, it eventually came out in, in these other ways. So this is the story of all the civilizations. The question is, how do we know what's from God and what's from the devil? And that's um, where, you know, it gets interesting. Um, the, um, um, there's a very key verse that, that I discovered in my research and uh Later on, Dr. Heiser uh, made it very popular. Michael, yeah, Michael Heiser's great. Yes. Yeah, he made it popular in his book, The Unseen Realm. Um, and it was kind of, for me, it was a confirmation that, okay, we, we weren't dreaming this up. Uh, it was um, a verse from Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 and 9. When I was making uh, the documentary, we released UFOs, Angels, and Gods, that people can watch on my website. Um, when the Lord kind of took me on this journey into a deep dive into the word Elohim, the gods. You and do know that is the, the word that Mormons use for God. Oh, is yes. Elohim. That's interesting. That's so strange. Mm -hmm. well, well, no, it's not strange because you know what's interesting is that. Well, that I mean, they, they say that's a singular, but I know Elohim is a title. It's, it's like a it's a title of things. And I believe like you, that there is a divine council. And I, I don't, I don't think they believe that, but they don't believe in um, 
the Godhead either. They believe that it's three separate people. They believe the Holy Ghost is someone separate than God, then is separate from Jesus Christ. They also believe in a heavenly mother. And they literally say, we aren't to speak of her because she's too sacred. So, Oh, really? Wow. Yes. So I, I, I wanted to plug that in right there just because I think this might go where you're going to go with some of the Elohim and things. And yeah. so. Yes. Yes. Um, if you look at, for instance, Exodus chapter 12, verse 12, um, it says, um, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. Now, when you look at this in Hebrew, what it says is, I will, um, where it says, on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. That is the word Elohim, um, the, the G-O-D-S, Elohim. And then the Lord uh, clarifies who he is. I am Yahweh. So Yahweh, you know, and other passages like Deuteronomy 10, verse 17, and other passages will say that he that Yahweh is the El of the Elohim. He's the God of gods. And so this whole idea of the plurality of, of the word Elohim and why it refers to the gods of the nations as well as the God of Israel, because what the word is pointing to is spiritual authority. And the reason it's plural is because there are layers of spiritual authority and god the godhead is the authority above all the authorities and that's why it's plural because in him is encompassed all of the layers of authority um and uh you look at for instance uh first colossians um uh, chapter uh, verse 16 first colossians 16 in the new testament it says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Um, and, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So it's presenting God, the Godhead, as the one who is over all of these thrones, dominions, authorities, rulers. He, and that's why it's plural, Elohim, because he is the authority of authorities. Even in a family, there's an authority structure. So the, God's kingdom is definitely um, a kingdom. Um, so, the God, so Elohim does actually apply in the Bible to the pagan gods but because it it means spiritual authority. And like Satan says to Jesus, dominion over all the kingdoms of the earth has been given to me, and I'll give them to you if you worship me. But the Lord says, you know, it's written only worship God, uh, Satan behind me. So these, this, this is kind of what the Bible is referring to, these beings that had spiritual authority. And so they're also the title Elohim. So if these guys use the word, if the Mormons use the word Elohim. They do they may be actually referring to the spiritual authority you're behind that, them, you know rather that's than who they praise uh-huh that's who they and it's very interesting because the devil comes into play in our temple ceremony and i was going to ask you this phrase because 
I know what they say it means. They quit using it and they now say, oh God, hear the words of our mouth instead. But they used to cry out and raise their hand up like this three times and say, Pele-El, Pele-El. And I, so that's their, one of their um, sacred things that they do to cry out to the Lord, God. That's what they say. They, I don't know if I, something comes to my mind, I'll let you know. I'm just trying to see. Yes. Yep. Yep. I'm just letting you know, as we go through it, like what, what they do and kind of, um, cause it's so interesting and it's so many hours of stuff that you, like, I broke it down really fast, but like, as we go through this, maybe some things will pertain, some things may not, you know, but it's nice to get your feeling on it. And, and no, cause I know, you know, a lot of things and a lot of languages. So it, it's one of those things that you wonder about, you know? Like, yeah. oh, what was I re really saying there? They used to do, yeah. yeah, the blood oath, just like the OTO with the slitting of the throat. They do not believe that uh, Christ's uh, blood atoned for all sins. They believe in, they say they don't anymore, but they believed in blood atonement, um, as in killing people <laughs> for yeah. For their sins, if it was uh, like me, I left the church, but I have the full knowledge, so I would be murdered by slitting my throat or yes. spilling my bowels or both, you know, like it, it's um, there's a reason why God tells us to take no oaths. Uh, it's yeah. so important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's absolutely true, because those oaths are, as you say, connections and hooks uh, with spiritual forces. And that that's. Yep. But they want to be worshipped, you know, uh, Allah, Krishna. All, they want to be worshipped because they connect themselves to your soul. And, and and maybe they receive some sort of an energy, you know, that feeds them. Well, food. and then it comes through mirrors, too. Like, mirrors are so important. Like, John D messes with mirrors. Witchcraft messes with mirrors. I mean, who knows what we're doing in there? And then they give you these underwear, which you cannot wear anything close to your skin, like your bra. Nope. That goes over the top. And these um, symbols, the compass and the square and the ruler are over both nipples and over your umbilicus and then on your left knee. And so um, it's super interesting to maybe is this how it it keeps on you like never take them off except you're swimming or if you're um in the shower or if, you know you should have another pair they're just like underwear like you switch them out you know whatever for the next one but um or making more mormons <laughs> right you can take them off for that but that's a that's a kind way to say some funny stuff but to have children basically um and that's it they want them on every hour of the day otherwise Wow. So. So, so you're right. Maybe there is, uh, you know, that that's a symbol of the hold that is over you. Yes. yes. I feel, I feel like it was, I was never sicker, fatter or more miserable <laughs> than when I was a Mormon. And maybe that was just my experience. Who knows? Um, but I find it strange. Like you can't even put them on a certain way. You have to put your right arm in first. You have to put your right yeah. leg in first. They can never touch the ground. There's a lot of rules. And when you destroy them, like if they wear out, you have to cut the symbols off and burn them. And that is very strange. <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds very um, cultish and, and cult very. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. So, the, so there's a verse the, 
to my mind as we we're talking about um, the the Elohim and all that. Um, this is actually something that Paul is quoting, but he's actually quoting from Moses's writings. Moses applied this to the Egyptians. Paul is applying it to the Greeks. Um, so he's come and he's preaching, you know, the word to uh, Corinth, which was a Greek town. And the Greeks had marketplaces. And when you went to the market, one section of the market was like for jewelry, marine makers, another one. And they sold material, another one, you know, pots and pans. And each section of the market had their own local God. And when you came in the morning to open the market, you made a little sacrifice to, to, the, to the God of your section. You, and you took some sort of a, you know, uh, wine uh, that was sacrificed, uh, a poured offering to that particular spirit. And, and so now these guys have become Christians. They've become followers of the God of Israel. And so Paul is extending what Moses, the, the spiritual division that Moses created, he's now saying to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice... They offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Uh, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? So he's comparing these uh, Greek gods that the pagans are sacrificing to in the Greek marketplace in Corinth to demons. He's he's revealing their true identity, and he's taking that, I believe, from Deuteronomy uh, chapter thirty-two. Uh, da, 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 I think it's verse seventeen. I don't always have all of the verses in my head. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. it is. So chapter thirty-two, um, verse sixteen and seventeen. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods they had come recently. And here the word demons in Hebrew is shedim, and it's translated as demonos, and the word gods is Elohim. So he's so they're interchangeable in that sense. They're part of the that's why when the Lord comes, he's um doing all of these uh, casting demons out of people, he's casting out the influence of the enemy from his kingdom and from his people. So this was definitely something that's real. And they've created lots of religions. Basically, I mean, shamanism as well. I mean, anything, Shintoism in, in Japan, uh, lots of local idols and worship uh, all over the world. Uh, then the only thing that frees people from the stronghold of all of this is the blood of Christ. Uh, when you pledge your allegiance to the King of Kings, um, you are freed from this. You know, when you accept him as your king, you've because it's a kingdom, and he paid the price through his blood uh, to redeem us from the authority that these beings had over the fallen world. It's 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 crazy. I mean, why does it work this way? I don't know. I mean, the Lord doesn't right. explain. explain yeah, it. we don't get a no. Yeah. Well, and these fallen angels play a big part into that. And I've read quite a few things. This is why I have little pictures of the cabbage babies here, because I find it extremely interesting that all of a sudden America popped up, right? And it's the new world. And then we've got all these kids on orphan trains and people don't comprehend how many there were. A quarter million children just popped out of nowhere. And 
And then on top of it, you've got incubator babies happening at the same time. Well, in India, they knew about cloning. So they say thousands of years before, I can't remember the name of the goddess with the multiple breasts um, everywhere, all the way down. And, And they said they knew of this way before and how to clone people and that they were doing this. And I'm like, what is the one thing if you wanted to integrate into a society, what is the easiest thing that that would be accomplished by a child? Most women would not walk away from a baby crying in the middle of the road or something like it's not going to happen. I mean, very often, I I guess you could maybe say some would, but I would say 80% of women are picking up that kid Okay. And taking it home. I think it's Diana of Ephesus, but I don't remember the Indian name, uh, like transferring it over. And so I find it extremely, and I didn't want to know any of this. Let me tell you, I just went down a weird road and this happened and I was like, holy cow. And so I'm like, is this part of the, the total corruption of seed and not to say that if you have that, like we're getting into things like, okay, I'm going to touch taboo one here. Hitler was looking for specific markers in the Jewish people. He was looking at their eye teeth. He was looking at canine teeth on them if they had them or not, because the original man, man of Adam did not. And he was looking at other, there were far more factors, not just the, the pale skin, you know, light eyes, whatever that is. But I do believe at some point it infiltrated into society. Does that mean we're all corrupt and going to hell? I sure hope not because my eyes are wide set apart. I've married a redhead and I've got all these kids, right? And, yeah. and my eyes are green, um, hazel green. It's too late. It's too late. You're, yeah. You're and, not- and. I mean, like oftentimes you felt that way when you first learned, but then you hear that scripture and I'm good with scripture quoting, but not the numbers, but you might know this scripture. Who did Jesus come to teach? He didn't come to teach man. He came to teach all living creatures. There's a reason why he used that word. Creatures is different than people, right? Yeah. Um, The, um, this is, I got this in, in Rome. I was in a museum there. I don't know. Yes. If yes. That, it. that, yes. That's the one. That's Diana of Ephesus. You're right. And that's what it yes. says right over on uh, at the foot of the statue. Um, yes. So. I the, had to pick your brain on this because you know, the India gods and I yeah. knew you would know. <laughs> well, it's the same teachers. It's the same yeah. ones. They, they the top of the pantheon is 12 they have the same markers like the sun god the moon god the storm god they travel from you know they set up shop in different um empires and then they're worshiped there under a different name as you know like the shams becomes apollo zeus becomes jupiter because each culture claims them as their own and also is essentially saying for now they have set up their throne here now underneath the top of the brass, there are local uh, beings that are that have received dominion over you know specific parts. So, but the Queen of Heaven, she is one of the most powerful and famous of all of these you know beings. She's had a very long career from the days of Mesopotamia, um, and you mentioned Alistair Crowley, and, and, and all the way perhaps even she might be the uh, 
behind uh, Mormonism from what you're saying, you know, that's, that, that, that's yeah. why I'm so curious to speak with you. I was like, I have to talk to him. He knows so much. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so she's, so yes, she, she's called, you know, the, um, Diana, the, um, uh, Istar, Ishtar Astarte Inanna is her first name, which means queen of heaven. Um, Aphrodite, uh, I think is her Greek name. And, um, she's known by that title still in the church, and she's also uh, appears in the Bible in the book of Jeremiah. There's uh, chapter seven, I think, and chapter 44, where the Jewish people are chastised for sacrificing to the Queen of Heaven and how they've lost a blessing over their lives for that matter. And Jeremiah is asking them to repent. I mean, that was the main charge that God brought against his people. At the time of the destruction of the first temple in the book of Jeremiah, it was the worship of the gods. It was idolatry. And it, like, the first of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And they were supposed to be kind of this people dedicated to the Lord as his priests, but they were worshiping the gods of the nations. And specifically, there's a few that are mentioned, the Queen of Heaven, Molech, to whom they were offering child sacrifice, and uh, Demuzi, these are three um, that are mentioned by name, Shemesh. Um, and, uh, but so she's had a lot of influence from the Mesopotamia into the mind of, of, of Israel and then now into the church where she's worshipped as Mother Mary, but she likes to have the same title given to her. Um, now, when it comes to um, what you're saying about, oh, the markers that you have and all that stuff, that's 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 not important. Um, it's interesting because when, you know, the parable of the wheat and tares? Yes, yes. Jesus says that, uh, he tells this parable, and then they ask him, what does it mean? And it's, it's great because one of the only parables where he actually gives us the interpretation as well. And so he says that, there was a garden and there was a man that came and planted his seeds in the garden. And then while he was sleeping, another came and planted his seed. And they say to him, well, you know, what do you, what is this? Let's just get to the meaning of it. Uh, uh, and people can also look at the parable of wheat and tares. Um, he says that the, that the gardener that came and planted his seed was God. And then the devil came and planted his seed. And then the seeds are the children of the kingdom. So the, there was wheat that grew from the seeds that the gardener had planted. But from the devil's seed, tares grew. And tares ju look just like wheat. You can't tell the difference until the end, you know, when they blossom differently. And so, so God planted his seed on the earth, like I guess Adam and the enemy planted his, he, he, there was an intrusion from the enemy. You know, you hear about the seed of the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I think. And you hear about the story of the Nephilim and the sons of God. And that happened before the flood and afterwards. And so there is this other, you know, Goliath was a descendant of the Nephilim. And by the time you get to, to, to the story of Goliath, and when you look at the story of the Nephilim in all the cultures of the earth, you see that this intrusion into the human bloodline and DNA is global. So the parable of wheat and tares tells us that God planted his seed in the garden. The devil planted his seed on the day God was sleeping, whatever that means. Maybe it was the seventh day of the Sabbath. 
And then when this whole um, connection between the wheat and the tares grew, the Lord says, the angels say, shall we go and pull out the tares? And the Lord says, no. If you pull out the tares, you may also pull out my wheat. They're intertwined. Um, what does that mean? I think it means that the genetic um, confusion that's been created from the intrusion of fallen angels into the human DNA is global and is very deep to the point where if, let's say, God said, okay, take this man's or this woman's grandfather out. He, he, he's, 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 got, he's a tear. Well, then you may not have never been born while you're not. So, so the Lord is like, wait. He says to the angels, wait until the end of the age. So until this period of history where all the souls that are going to be born until the second coming is done. And then at the coming, then you're going to pull out the tares and burn them and put the wheats in the warehouse, which is the kingdom of God. So, so we, we, it seems that we're very interconnected and, and it's global. So we all have, I mean, there's the fall of man, um, but perhaps some of our evil inclinations come from this connection that's in, in our genes how widespread it is, I don't know, but but I think what the Bible is suggesting is much more widespread than we think. We it may be even completely, we may all be infected. And that's why I think the resurrection of Christ becomes meaningful, that we need a new body. We need to continue the story in a new body. We need a new DNA, we need a new genetics uh, reset, uh, since that word has become popular these days. We need a new... <laughs> <laughs> we need a new we need a new um, a body you know to 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 yes. be perfect in harmony with the kingdom of god and enter into the, his presence absolutely i i th i think that's so interesting and then they started all these dna tests right and they said oh this is just junk dna and then what did they what were they looking for gene of isis like genesis like they, they just throw everything in our face like it's so crazy to me that people don't see this and i'm over in the corner like oh my gosh like this and this and this not that they don't have what they need from everyone if you didn't take a test it doesn't really matter you go to the doctor you have your blood drawn you have a tissue sample where does it go well i don't know where right. do your eggs go after you have a hysterectomy? I don't know. Um, right. You know, these things they monkey with. Clonade is out there. They've stated since in the early 90s that they've created Eve, uh, the first girl who they say is in the Middle East. Uh, I think they've been doing this for a long time. Uh, oh, yeah, I think yeah. as soon as they yeah. figured it out. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't buy their story about all these kids coming from nowhere. They just kidnapped them all or I don't, well, it doesn't make any sense. You mentioned the Nazis and Hitler. It was incredible. The giant leap in technology that these guys took forward. <laughs> Where did they get all this knowledge to build rockets and mm -hmm. stealth planes and jets? And like, they just like, they weren't just like a year or two ahead from the allies. They were like no. decades from the allies. yes yes and then that gets you right back to the god of war right like azazel yeah. i'm sure that there was channeling from all kinds of things happening because they said that hitler was really into drugs and stuff and all of that helps with all of you know if he was doing it himself i mean i'm just curious on that part but he was looking for certain things and why because 
since the beginning of time, who have they sacrificed to their gods? That would be human beings. So that was why. And the Holocaust, the meaning for the word Holocaust is like atrocious. It's something similar to that, right? It's like sacrifice or something like, yeah. And so I'm like, what? When I learned this, I was like, oh my gosh, like how do people not see? And then we're calling it the Holocaust, like, and, and in a like respectful way. No, that is terrible. That's like, literally, I can't believe they haven't like gone crazy to change it, you know, but yes. here we are. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, This name of a woman. Um, her name was Madame Boravista. Um, I'm just trying to get the right name. So she was a channeler that lived in, um, in um in germany there was leading up to the rise of the nazis german society underwent massive spiritual change because of this channeling that was happening um even some of the agents of the catholic church wrote back to the pope saying that germany was no longer a christian country they had gone back to the worship of the gods of old and all of these, uh, the spiritualist movement um, brought this, you know, this whole, open the gates. And, and, and Madame Bodavista, whatever her name was, something like that, she was a very important part of the story. Um, and then they needed a guide. That's what they called it, to now concretely um, bring about the reign of these beings. And that's what Führer means. You know, Hitler's title was the Führer. That's what it means, the mm -hmm. guy. And he wow. was like, anointed to be that. And um, there was an altar in the city of Pergamum um, in, in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, around, uh, across the uh, sea from Athens. Uh, there was a very important altar to Zeus. And uh, that was the altar of Pergamum. And so Jesus, in Revelation chapter 2, he's writing a letter to the church of Pergamum. He, he, it's one of the letters that he wrote to the congregation of Pergamum. He didn't write it himself. He, he sent an angel who brought this message to the congregation of Pergamum. It's in Revelation chapter 2, the seven letters. And he says, um, what did it say? Ephesus. Smyrna, um, yes, he, he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who has killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, the what I discovered was that the largest um, altar to Zeus was in the city of Pergamum. And the archaeologist, Carl Human who had dug it up and brought it to Berlin, um, he also believed that this is what Jesus must have been referring to. And in fact, the, the year that I released the documentary, the biblical archaeology had this article out called Satan's Throne, which was about this very uh, altar and how it relates to, to the throne of Satan. This is what Jesus must have been talking about. This was actually in 1996, 1997, when I was introduced to this idea that that the altar of Zeus um, might have been what Jesus was pointing to when he called the throne of Satan in the city of Pergamum, this was actually what God used in my life 
to as a key to open the door to the concept of the gods uh and and, and so in the mid 1990s and so um this altar was brought to berlin where it was reassembled in the museum of pergamum uh, which is now called the museum of berlin it's like this looks like a temple to me when you look at the building mm. it's like an island a little island on museum island in the middle of berlin and in that uh, museum there's also the gates of ishtar you know we're talking about the queen of heaven oh, yeah mm -hmm. the actual gates of babylon like the city of babylon that existed had a wall around it that was so wide that four chariots could grace on it. It was a double gated wall. Wow. And the gates of that wall are in Berlin. It's huge. I mean, you got to Google it. It just blows your mind. Wow. The same museum as the altar of Zeus, <laughs> which is, um, you know, with this whole thing. So uh, that Jesus calls the throne of Satan. And when you look at, um, um uh, the, the story of hitler so hitler commissions this guy his name is albert spear and he says build me architectural mar marvels and then he says to him i want in um um in nuremberg where the nazis get together for their yearly rally i want something that is like has the feeling of a Catholic mass, you know, that's like a counter spirituality to his understanding of Christianity. And so Albert Speer is wondering, what am I going to do to create like a spiritual structure for, for Hitler? And he wanders in the museum where they have reassembled the altar of Zeus. He gets inspired and he builds a large, gigantic version of it for Hitler in Nuremberg. And he puts these army lights all around it to create a rect a square, and these lights go up in the sky, and that look like pillars of light. So, because the pagans wow. they worship outdoors, it was the Christians that started to worship indoors. But in the Greek and Roman world, the pagans worshipped outdoors. Like if you go to the cities of Pompeii and all these cities that were actually destroyed by God, but, um, and you have the temple of Jupiter, uh, they, they worshiped Jupiter outdoors. And so the Nazis get together inside of this, you know, cathedral of lights. You can Google it and look at the images wow. of these pillars of lights. And at the end of it, the only structure is the altar of Zeus, but a very large version of it. And then Hitler stands in a microphone and they, they like to also light up flames and kind of like torches. And, wow. and they're all on drugs, all the soldiers. And <laughs> yeah. You, you feel me and I feel you. I don't see you. You don't see me, but I feel you and you feel me. And that is from there that Hitler declares um, uh, the laws of the, of the Holocaust. He declares the Holocaust from that altar. And, and, and what's interesting is in this passage I just read, the Lord refers to the Bishop of Pergamum, the leader of the Church of Pergamum, Antipas. And he says, you know, uh, you yet hold my fast my name and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness was killed among you where Satan dwells. So the, the priests of Zeus, this was the most important altar of Zeus in the Greco-Roman world, the Roman emperor 
and aristocrats and leaders of empire from all the world, uh, the Greco-Roman world, sacrificed to Zeus in this altar, sacrifices that were happening 24-7. And so what oh. happens is that the priests of Zeus in Pergamum are offended that in the most important cult center of the leader of the pantheon, which Jesus identifies as Satan, in this city there have suddenly appeared citizens that reject the worship of the gods, the spiritual forces behind empire, and have converted to the monotheism of the Jews and worship the God of Abraham. And so they arrest the leader of the church, Antipas, and they bring him to the altar of Zeus. And one of the symbols of Zeus was a bull. And they had built a brazen, a bronze bull for Zeus. They put Antipas, and it's like a trapdoor underneath it. It was a torture instrument. You yeah. put a fire in the belly of the thing, and then you light a fire underneath the bronze bull, and it slowly cooks him. And they put these devices in the nostrils of the bull so that when you're screaming in pain, um, the bull's nostrils come to life, so to speak, as your voice comes out. The, the story of, that has been handed down in church history is that Antipas prayed for his congregation to, with his, to his last breath. So when Albert Speer built the altar in large in, in, in Nuremberg, where the bull stood, he put the microphone there where Hitler stood. Oh. And from there, Hitler declared another burnt offering, the Shoah or the Holocaust, as you say. And, and so it's interesting. And there's a very famous image of an Allied aeroplane throwing a bomb and destroying a Nazi symbol. It's like this Nazi symbol made of stone. And you often see it in documentaries and stuff. It just, the plane comes and hits it. And that's the altar of Zeus. That's the Nuremberg oh, altar. Wow. And, and it gets destroyed at the end. So so it's interesting that, that there was this occult connection. Yes, so much. Nazis, and they channeled something. And that led to the Holocaust and, and kind of trying to prevent the Bible's prophecies that, that are centered around Jerusalem and, and continue the age of empire and the rule of the fallen angels and prevent the second coming of Christ by removing the actors who need to be in place for God's prophetic word to occur because God says he does nothing except that which he speaks through his servants and prophets. And so to by destroying the Jews, you destroy the possibility of Bible prophecy coming true. And so that's the strategy I for me. I have to tell you this. Um, so when the kids are doing the baptisms for the dead, they have, remember, these are kids that are innocent, usually 12 to like 16. You have to be morally clean. You get a whole, you can't just walk in a temple. You have to have like a pass. Okay. So you're dressed all in white and you have to pre, these prepubescent kids, like we're all in white getting wet. But guess what we get into? A big bowl like a bowl that reminds me of a belly with 12 golden oxen underneath of it. Wow. Sound familiar? Yeah. Yes. I think it's very much a representation of what you just described because I know we're not, we're not killing people there or anything like that because it just, well, who knows what they do at night? I don't know. I know this, they are very into the whole thing. What you said, I feel you, you feel me. They're very into like, you'll get a burning of your bosom. You'll know it's true. What does the Bible say? Not to trust your heart, right? Like you have to, 
you can't just go off feelings, right? You have to like be more studious than that. God's always saying that. Don't just be wild up in your feelings because feelings can lead you astray. So can dreams, so can all these things, right? So, um, and they're very into that. They'll say, oh, oh, you took the Mormon missionary stuff. You need to go home and pray about this and really ask for the burning in your bosom. Well, I think sometimes they forget there's more than one thing that can give you a burning of anything, right? right. <laughs> and they just think it's from God. And they're like, yay, I had that. And I had that before, but not right. in that temple, not in that temple. Uh, yeah. I wanted the hell out of there, to be quite honest. Um, well, how did I you, may how did your mind? Why do you want to leave? I always knew God from a really young age on my separate level because I had been in such a torturous childhood that I went to God often like, help me. Like, what is going on in this life that I'm living? Like, my mom's getting the crap beat out of her. She tried to kill herself all the time. Like, I was kind of a despairing uh, childhood. And so I was always calling out for God. But I knew what that felt like because God would almost wrap his arms around me at times. Like, I remember being a really young kid, like eight or nine and wanting to kill myself. Just put right. a bag over my head and try, you know, because yeah. I just um, felt like I was just couldn't escape this whole mess that I was in. Like, these are both your parents and you can't get away from them and you don't know what to do. And my mom wasn't a part of the abuse. She was just powerless because she was not even okay in her own mind. She was, <laughs> she was powerless to the ogre as well. Right. So, and, um, eventually she did leave. And after she had a near death experience, uh, it was not a good one. She never did that again. <laughs> so, um, but I it made me very anxious as a kid, I was always looking for her. And I actually did save her life because back in the olden days, the horn was on the, the steering wheel. And I was always like, where's my mom? Where's my mom? Where's my mom? You know, and I heard this noise and I couldn't figure it out. Well, it was the horn. And when I ran out of the garage after, cause I didn't know what to do. I was like nine. Um, I just knew she wasn't okay. And I ran in the house, but I left the door open and some of the fumes, you know, just came rolling. She had started the car in there. And yeah. um, I, I know that they, I was right there when they said, I'm so sorry. Like they were working on her and everything. And then they were like, we're so sorry. And she, when she came back, I mean, she was locked up for a while, but she never did that again. She said things were pulling at her. Everything was dark. It wasn't a good feeling you know, uh, at all. And a commute commune, right? You're living mm -hmm. normal. You're not living. In a commune. No, we're not living in a commune. No, no. And, and we're just in a normal house. Yeah. You can yep. get in your car. You can get when you're an older person, you can just get in your car and drive away. Yes. Yes. My mom, um, unfortunately did not understand. I think, I think she felt very trapped and she's um, one of those people that it, she already has depression and she, I think she felt powerless, which was one reason why I became who I am. I decided I would rather be like, and it took me a lot of years to get out of this, which was crappy too. But um, I identified with the abuser because he had power. I was like, okay, I'm not going to be like her. She doesn't do anything. Look at, she just leaves us all here. And you know, yeah. this is crappy. So I want to be like him. Well, I never wanted to hit anyone because that was crappy, but I always yelled too much at my kids. I was strict and I was kind of, you know, 
this is this and that. And then the Mormon thing on top of it. And then I still knew who God was, but I, what I feel like I did have a lot of attachments for a lot of years. And until I shed that, until I shed that off of me, I mean, I had to, it took a long time. It took like 18 months of me constantly being in the word every single day, journaling, praying, like constantly until I felt like, and going through my house, like what other crap is in here from that temple? Like I would find weird stuff like way later, like where did this come from? Why wasn't this thrown away? You know, whatever. And uh, it just took me forever. And, and my family was weird. Yeah. Did your husband leave with you or did you have a husband within Mormonism? And then I, I did have a husband in Mormonism, but um, we were already divorced. He, he had gone off on an affair and uh, technically by law, by the law, I was married to him and still am married to him for time and all eternity by Mormon law. Even though I have a husband now, they don't recognize that marriage really. Um, And yet he ran off with another girl and was like with this polygamous girl, which was, we, we weren't polygamists. It was just a random weird thing, which is why I have a podcast. Cause my whole life is a random weird thing. Like my sister married, do you know who Warren Jeffs is of the polygamous church? Uh, um, the no. number, the, the documentary, like stay oh. sweet and all that. Yeah. Yeah. The guy that's in prison, my sister married his nephew. Oh, wow. Yes, I uh, yeah. Yeah. So just weird stuff. His brother? Yeah, weird stuff. Yeah, um, his his nephew and, okay, so they intermarry. So his grandpa was Rulon Jeffs, the, the Warren Jeffs guy, and he also married his granddaughter. So he was like double related um, right. into that sect. Right. And I did a whole interview, by the way, he has a book out. It's called Isaac's Story. He's, he's written it all down and very seldom will... FLDS or fundamentalist LDS speak out because they're pretty fearful, honestly. And Warren Jeffs really runs everything still from prison. I mean, it's nothing different than the mob, you know? And and so um, everyone's life revolves very much around the religion, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Everything you do, you can't even wear the color red. So if you're a fundamentalist, you can't, you, you have to wear sleeves down to here their garments are very long like long underwear you can never cut your hair if you're a woman because that's the crowning glory of god that god gave you um you there's so many rules you have to wear pastels he has now sent out more rules because he can't live his life he has um, made sure that no marriages are are uh done anymore he's absolved all marriages only certain people can have babies by certain other people and he says who gets to do that they have their own god squad they have their own police they have their own everything they live in a compound um it's wild and the things that they do is they hold everyone hostage because you might have a house that you built there you might have paid for the house but the land is the profits the land is his and he, oh, he can wow. kick you out at any time. Everything is his. He owns all of it. And, and so it made it really hard for people to leave. And women have no rights to keep their children. Um, the children go with the father. Many of the women won't leave because of that reason. But then, you know, it gets to a point where they start throwing teenage boys out and they start 
uh, making these young girls get married that are super young, 12, 13, 14. And that was when a lot of people started saying, that's what happened with my brother-in-law as he said, said one thing. He only questioned, it was very minor. It was like, he's my uncle. I'm best friends with him for a long time. I was on a good like level with him. And I said one thing and they sent me packing. I went back and by the time I drove from Texas, because he was building the new Jerusalem, the new Zion in Texas with that whole mess and the police and his kids got taken from there, all that stuff happened. But he said, when I approached him, he acted like nothing was really wrong. But he said, you need to drive back to Utah, to Hildale. And when he got home, his wife was gone. His children were gone. His other wife was gone. And they had relocated everyone. And they told him he needed to leave wow. immediately. Well, yeah, it, it's so interesting, you know, the um, that people, adults, can you know, completely fall for for something like this. Um, and and these are smart people. Yeah, smart yeah. people. Um, the in Pakistan, they 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 say that when an elephant is born, they attach a chain um, between the legs of the elephant, um, mm. just to control it. And the elephant walks all his life with these with this chain. It's it's you know it's large enough that he can move. But and they say when the elephant becomes big and fully grown, it never tries to break it, even though now it can, because as a child it couldn't. And conditioning, that it, mm -hmm. conditioned right that this uh, that they can never break this chain, and so the the, the grown up elephant doesn't even try. So it's interesting once you condition someone from childhood how how strong um, this thing is over them. Fascinating. It's so it's so much, and even though I knew the things that they would tell me, um, I don't think it ever worked with me so well because like they would tell me crazy things like about racism, um, and I had my mom did one really really good thing for me. That's a weird random thing, but she bought these Bible books for children from a Jehovah's Witness salesman. Okay. And yeah. they were like mini volumes in the, I'm going to be 48 this year. So I was probably like 10 when this or nine maybe. And I read them all. I just loved them so much. And I read them all. And, and I learned about God and I kind of did it on my own. And I remember thinking they're crazy. Like I remember thinking they, they think that God doesn't love black people. That's crazy. Like they think that, you know, there's a separate curse on black people because they say they were the fence sitters in heaven. When this war went down with the angels, they say that the people that wouldn't choose a side, good or bad, they just sat there, didn't know what to do, were the black people because they didn't choose a side. They were cursed from then on out to have a dark colored skin and they mean black. They don't mean tan. They don't mean any other, any other race, you know, just yeah. they kept the priesthood from them for many, many years. And I remember thinking as a kid, like, I don't think God's like that. Like it never worked with me. I just, it, well, I had already kind of, yeah, went my own way, I guess. Right. And right. So, All the daughter in our hearts, you know, from the beginning. Yes. Um, yeah. Was, that yes. was something to listen to you and to learn about Mormonism's kind of yes How and this stuff that you're telling me about with the Hitler thing and everything this is fascinating to me because I don't think enough people will touch it right 
Like most people don't want to do that. And, and to think, oh, maybe he was led astray by these angels and or gods, fallen angels. I mean, same with many religions. Like it goes back to that indoctrination of the elephant that you're talking about. They know how to control man. They know what to do, right? Like it all goes back to sex, power, money, like the only three things really. I mean, honestly, maybe starvation, you know, food and water. True. Yeah. It's like they know and and they are are teaching these really evil people like, hey, if you do this, they'll do that. Right. right. Like same thing like the elephant. And so I think that it is literally the elephant in the room that people don't want to acknowledge. They say, no, the angels are not down here. No. How can you prove in revelations that they really fell? It doesn't say that. It just says stars. It doesn't say angels. And all. they'll argue with you to the death on some of this stuff. But I'm like, if you study it all, but you can't just study your silly. And I don't know what Bible you read, but I, I read all the books. I know you read Enoch because I've heard you talk about it. Yes. They cut stuff out for a reason. You know, it, it, it's, I mean, and yes. so people this, have to study. Yeah. There's kind of a, the canon of scripture. And then it references like Enoch is quoted in the letter of Jude. And there are other books. You know, the book of Jasher is quoted in the Old Testament or the book of the wars of God, which we don't even have which is quoted in the book of numbers. Like it says, as it is said in the book of the war of gods, the, the in book of, in, in the book of the wars of Yahweh, you know, of the wars of God. Uh, so that they quote something. It's like, wow, where did they get that quote from? Or it says, you know, it'll be a quotation of the book of Jasher, which we have. Uh, and the book of Enoch is quoted by Jude. So you kind of start with scripture and it leads you to, to these other places you, and then beyond that, you kind of test everything against what we know for sure is the word of God. And that becomes, you know, um, the the interpretation is often where the enemy comes in. It, it is, he can't hide the books, but he can actually just change the way we perceive it. Uh, he can put the books behind lock and key, so, but he can't destroy them. The word of God is indestructible. You know, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not. Um, so there's there's something that God has preserved his word for all the nations and all the generations. Um, but it's fascinating um, to, to, I think, study these things. I think God explains things to different generations. At this time in history, we have entered the end times since 1947, 1948. And we need to understand about the war of angels because that's what the apocalypse is ultimately. And um, the Lord returns with an army of angels. And it sheds a lot of light on, on this rising paganism in America. And, and Europe has already fallen long ago to it. Um, the communist world, Muslim world. But now the States is also kind of, you know, who knows? There might be a change of heart and mind. Uh, the revival is always possible. But for now, it looks like we're going back to the way the West was when Christianity came to it. We're, people are worshiping again a million and one other things than God and uh, paganism's on the rise. Um, just uh, could I give some information about where people can find me? Uh, oh, yes, of course. Can I ask you one question? What Bible do you um, like tell people to search into best? So like you, I let's say if I'm really taking a deep dive, I will go on BibleHub.com where I see like, eight or nine different translations parallel with each other. I will read all of them to see like 
how different people have interpreted. Then I will click on Hebrew, and then I can see the Hebrew words, or if it's Greek, the Greek words and the English translation. And then I'll go into an amplified dictionary if I'm focusing on a single word. Um, I will, for sure, if I'm doing a study of an important topic, I will look up virtually all the passages where the word appears in the whole Bible and read it all because it tends to show me through context how God uses this word. So all of these ways. But if you're saying to me, you know, what, what books do you like? I like the ESV. I like the NASB. NASB, ESV. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with the New King James Version as long as, uh, you, know, you know, in some ways we know all pitfalls with the King James Version because it's so well studied. Uh, in some ways we know all the pitfalls with it. Uh, but uh, I don't like the NIV. I find that it's yeah. a very kind of shallow translation. Uh, but it ESV cuts too much out. Yeah. 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 For deep ESV. study, anyway. Yes, exactly. Um, Perfect. I appreciate you so much telling us that because I know uh, people often ask me and I want to share with people so that they can do the same things that we've done. And, you know, I'm no scholar. You're definitely a scholar. I, I just am curious. And like you said, go down, you know, these studying scriptures, studying this, studying that, trying to figure it out. And that's all people really need to do. I mean, we can spend six hours watching a Netflix thing, but we can't do this. Like, I mean, I'm not trying to guilt anyone, but like <laughs> you might want to spend a little time, you know, yeah, <laughs> reading your Bible. <laughs> and so um, sure. that's my advice anyways. But like uh, I, yeah. Like so you want to know where you're going and what's going on around you. You need a light and the yes. word of God, you know, cause you, you look at our eyes. We don't see anything. We only see the reflection of light. That's how our eyes are designed. Maybe there's a teaching in that, you know, and, and, Right. We don't know things other than that's what's in our like what happened today in China. I don't know. You don't know because it's not in our minds. We only know and see what's in. So if we put the algorithms of God's knowledge are like light. They light up our understanding of the world. And now we see things for what they really are, not the way we imagine them. So it's it's very important. It gives us wisdom for living, uh, for prospering, uh, for connecting. Uh, to the Lord and being blessed by that connection. Uh, but it's heavy duty. Like, you know, so people are like, I struggle with it. And and if you do, then uh, prayer is the way to go. You pray that the Lord take that struggle and open your heart to wanting to study. And, and it's good to start listening to tapes and teachers that you enjoy as a gateway into the word of God. You know, that kind of motivates you and, and, and gets you going. Um, yes. Yeah. But it's a discipline have, you're right. Yes. And so de definitely tell us where we can find you. And I'd love to have you back for another conversation. This has been amazing. I know I can't keep you all day, but I would. <laughs> Thank you. I promise I won't do that. Yes. <laughs> and where can they find you? <laughs> um, you can go to my website, thinkagainproductions.com. There's a documentary on the front page called UFOs, Angels, and Gods. You can watch that. It's free. If you want to leave a donation at the bottom of the page, you can. Um, on the homepage, you'll see my Twitter feed appears. Please follow me on X or Twitter as I'm building that. If you want to follow me on Facebook, it's at UFOs Angels Gods. That's what the handle is. 
follow me there too. And if you uh, will sign up on the front page, there it says there's a newsletter. And if you sign up for it, you'll be informed about my ministry and what I do, books, videos, things like that. On the front page, you'll also find a link to my Patreon. And I'm doing a, um, a study on the book of Revelation audio series. It's available on Patreon if you want to come and listen to that. And once you've watched the documentary, if you double click on it, it'll take you to my YouTube page. There are many other videos, and you can subscribe to the YouTube page and uh, watch the other videos as well. Um, and you know, don't hesitate to email through the website if you want to connect. And if I have time uh, and if I can, you know, sometimes emails will come in. I get a lot of emails from a lot of people, but some emails are just, you know, more urgent than others. Let's say that they need to be answered. Sometimes people are just sharing with me their opinion uh, about something. It's the Bible. I appreciate it, but I can't always respond to it because uh, of, of time constraints. Um, yes. But I'm but I'm open to receiving emails, of course. Uh, yes. So Amazing. Think, are you, and are you still working on your other um, documentary? Is that oh, the Goliath Rising? Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, that's that's going to come when it comes. You know, it's it's an idea yeah. that I have. And uh, right now I'm writing a fiction, which I'm very excited mm. about, which is a kind of a, uh, you know, a, a person that's in, it's, that's in these mystery schools, actually. And mm, it kind that's of, interesting. I like has, this. You like it? Oh, it? It has this, the ideas that I developed in the documentary, they're coming through this fiction. And this gentleman, you know, is, is finds out the truth of, of the UFO phenomenon and what all that is about. Uh, that's where that's what I'm working on. And then there's another mm. book the Lord has put on my heart that I, I hope to write after the fiction. That is a new revelation that no one has really oh, wow. talked about. That's gonna open up a whole other part of scripture. So I'm very excited about sharing that. Oh, that's amazing because your wealth of knowledge is just it, it's awesome. And you know, for people like me or other people that want to know the answers, I would definitely look into his work. I, I definitely watch the documentary. Um, support him if you can, because he, he really does spend, I mean, this is like in depth. This is not the beginners. <laughs> this is not the beginners club. Um, you could get there uh, definitely through it. I'm not discouraging. I'm just saying it's a wonderful place for people to get through more information. So that's amazing. And I appreciate all you do. Thank you. I God bless it. you so much. And I appreciate you coming on and hope to have you back sometime. Absolutely. Anytime. God bless you as well. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you for having me.